So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. To me and the in three, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Jen. I'm Rachel. And I'm Monica. And Starsky and Hutch has been in the news lately. Unfortunately, it's a robot. <laughs> or is that unfortunate? I think Starsky and Hutch's robots is a fic that Rachel has enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> yes. Hutch was a robot. It was very sad. It was great. Yeah, it sounds actually too sad for me. I haven't read that one. Um, but there's a company called Starsky Robotics, and they're, they make self-driving trucks, or they hope to make self-driving trucks. I wasn't quite clear on that point, but they just released what they call their Hutch API, which is apparently the, like, well, they call it their, the nerve center. It sounds like it's some kind of operating system. So that is what came up when I recently Googled Starsky and Hutch. Another instance of running into a reference in the wild was one that I encountered when I was listening to David Tennant's podcast. Uh, David Tennant, the actor who played the 10th Doctor on Doctor Who, among many other things. He was interviewing Catherine Tate, who is a British actress who um, played Donna on Doctor Who, among many, many other things. She's a very established British comedian. And she was talking about what shows she watched in her youth, and she mentioned Starsky and Hutch as a favorite of hers. And David Tennant immediately asked her which one of them she fancied. <laughs> and her reply was, Huggy Bear. Yes! <laughs> uh, so that was a fantastic answer, and one worthy of sharing. And I also liked that that was the immediate first question that needed to be answered. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you need to tell me if you're a Hutch girl or a Starsky girl. Mm-hmm. It is It is the question. <laughs> so I was entertained by that uh, chance encounter. Another encounter that Monica and I experienced while riding in the car one day was one of our oldies stations local in town. They often do, as many oldies stations do, decade-themed playlists. And it was one of their 70s weekends. And for a little flavor, you know, they put in, like, old commercials and such. And one of the commercials was for Starsky and Hutch, which was super fun to hear. And it was quite extended, actually. It was quite an extended commercial clip. So that was, that's, that's fun. I heard it once more after that as well. So whenever it's 70s hour or 70s weekend, I try to keep an ear out for it. Haven't heard it yet again, though. And finally, uh, I saw someone wearing what looked very much like a Starsky sweater, a long white sweater belted at the waist with a sort of a geometric pattern. It wasn't exactly it, but it looked close. And I told this person, it was an older couple, I said, oh, did, did you ever watch Starsky and Hutch? Your sweater reminds me of Starsky's sweater. And she kind of laughed and she's like, oh, I haven't watched Starsky and Hutch in so long. And the husband kind of looked at me confused. 
And then his face cleared, and he was like, oh, they, they made a movie not too long ago, didn't they? That's probably what you're thinking oh of. Oh, my God. And I was like, no, the movie was pretty different from the show. It was a straight-up comedy, whereas the show, yeah, it had comedic elements, but it was often very serious. And the husband, uh, once again, looked kind of confused, and that ended our interaction. <laughs> Yes, Who is sir. this time traveler? <laughs> People do watch old TV shows. Us young folk do get into them. Yeah, I don't think it's that confusing. You can often find reruns of older shows on various channels. And DVDs exist. Mm-hmm. So the main thing that we did for this episode... Unless you had some more. No, I just wanted some elegant segue, but I couldn't think of anything. We are talking about the episode Jillian, which I believe is Rachel's all-time favorite episode. Yes, it is. It's number one. It's the most perfect episode ever. And just, like, I could watch that over and over and over again and never get sick of it. It fills my heart with so many emotions. Joy and sadness and love. So it wasn't enough that you just watched the episode. No. We watched it this time while I was going through the script. So we have some things to talk about with the differences between the script and the final product. That'll be exciting. Yeah, so we watched the episode, we paused frequently so that Rachel could share with us major differences between the episode as aired and the episode as scripted. Of course, we don't know how much of this was changed during filming or before filming or perhaps even afterward at the editing stage. But I think we all agreed that for the most part, the directorial choices made the episode better. Absolutely. A lot of the script was overwritten or in some places vaguely uncomfortable making. So we, we're going to talk about some of those things. Unfortunately, the script does not list the writer, um, so if Jen wants to work her magic for a second. <laughs> Working my magic by going to get my phone across the room. Yes. So the IMDb lists Benjamin Masalink as the teleplay writer and Amanda J. Green as the story writer. So those are the two writers who are credited for this episode. I'm actually a little bit relieved because the descriptions, some of the descriptions in the teleplay were kind of awkwardly misogynistic and knowing that a guy probably wrote those lines rather than the woman who conceived of the story makes a lot more sense to me. That said, obviously, Masalink wrote a bunch of different Starsky and Hutch episodes that were quite good. So this isn't to say that he is not a good writer, it's just that... Uh, oh, that's the only one he's credited as teleplay on. Sorry. I am. I was trying to figure out what his other episode was, because I feel like his name rings a bell, but... <laughs> not coming up with anything? I could try to Google. I think what this brings home for me is that you definitely, you know, should have more than one set of eyes on anything. <laughs> Definitely pass it around. Get some more opinions. 
So Ben Maslink uh, apparently also wrote Little Girl Lost, um, the episode that introduced Molly, which is another episode that I quite like. So clearly he does have skills uh, as a screenwriter and presumably was in the writer's room for the show in general. Um, But the script that Rachel read bits of to us definitely made me glad that stage directions are not part of the finished product of television um, because some of them are not ideal. Mm-hmm. And very much the uh, on-stage punch-ups of, of dialogue. Yeah. Definitely helps. There's definitely a lot that I would credit the director of this episode for. Um, the director being, and I feel like we should credit that person as well, George McCowan. Shall we go into the differences? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about them. All right. Well, the first uh, difference right away is a cutscene. Uh, in the script, Hutch goes off, as he is wont to do, on the ills of modern society, and in this case, that is sex shops, porno theaters, and uh, all the all the like of that. So, and Starsky, of course, is very quippy in return. <laughs> and this is when they're first driving up and discovering the first dead body on East Hollywood Boulevard, which the script refers to as Porno Row. Yep. I don't know if that was a description used more colloquially to describe that area of Los Angeles at the time, but uh, definitely evocative. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the episode, we don't get that little rant from Hutch and the joke in return from Starsky. We just see them driving up right away uh, and getting out of the car. And we get that scene with uh, Lonely is the name of the man who was killed, and who's the name of the one they talked to? I have it right here, if I turn a page back. Hoyle. Yeah, I think it gives it a, a more somber opening to the episode, rather than starting. Although I love Hutch's rants, and Starsky just kind of being amused by them and accepting them. I think this is probably a more appropriate opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gives gravitas, I think, immediately to the whole situation. They are finding a dead body, and it's the dead body of someone who is employed in a very limited way, has developmental disabilities um, implicitly, and so does his friend. And I think starting the scene with a joke and then moving to that scene would have been awkward. And it also definitely sets up the particular evil and ability for dehumanization that the the Grossmans are capable of in this episode. Another cutscene we discovered uh, happens right before the bowling, where they're in the locker room, and Hutch is reciting some poetry, and we might read this scene out loud, do some acting of our own. Uh, Because this scene actually gives backstory to Jillian, which we never get in the episode, which makes it pretty interesting. Actually, the backstory is a little later. Really? Yes, this is just him inviting Starsky out. It sounds like he's inviting Starsky out on a date, though, which which is kind of nice. But it is the part where Starsky is like, you keep talking about this girl. Yeah. The, The backstory, though, comes later. Do you want to be Hutch or Starsky? I'll be Hutch. Okay. Someone has to read the descriptions, too, right? Okay. Exterior police station. Establishing night. Lizard suns on burial wall. Watch fool blue bottle fly. Interior police locker room. 
Starsky and Hutch, night. They have taken their showers and are now putting on their clothes. Hutch is smiling to himself. What? It's haiku. Traditional and structured Japanese poetry. Starsky is looking curiously at Hutch. You know, ever since you met your poet lady, it's been like you know this great place that gives out free tacos and you're not telling me. Hutch grins. Yeah, there it is. The cat has swallowed the mouse grin. Now me, the only poet I ever knew was this kid in the fifth grade named Elmer. He could make the damnedest rhymes out of parts of the body. What are you doing tonight? I don't know. I don't like to plan that far ahead. Want to go bowling? Actually, I got a date. Good. Then there'll be four of us. And then they go into the bowling scene. So it's right, uh, Rachel's right, that we don't actually get Jillian's backstory, but we learn she's a poet, which we never actually learn in the episode. No, she's just a writer in the episode. Right. Also, I don't know if free tacos would have been the euphemism that it would be now, but... That? (laughs) Why would free tacos be a euphemism? You know, what the taco emoji... I actually don't know what the taco emoji means. I know what the... I know what the um, eggplant. eggplant and the peach one mean. Okay, well, what other body part okay. would fill in go. that list? I've never seen anyone use the taco emoji that That's way. That's true. I haven't either, but I can see it, you know. Yeah, that seems, like, uncomfortable to put your eggplant in the taco, but... <laughs> Probably. Also, Jillian's taco is not free, which is sort of the point of this episode. I mean, it's free to hutch. That is true. Okay. Um, I just wanted to mention, because this will also come up later... Um, in the bowling scene, we see this guy with a tight perm. Uh, he sees Jillian and calls, and then Jillian sees him. And in the script, she starts bawling, is the word, and hugs, uh, Hutch as she's crying. (laughs) This is not the first time. I mean, this is the first time. This is not the last time. We will see Jillian break down in the script. So, I just wanted to note that. Just a lot of sobbing, which is entirely unnecessary, and I give a lot of credit to both the director and Karen Carlson for making Jillian a much stronger character than she's depicted Mm -hmm. as in this script. Alright, in fact, my next note is, indeed, the second time she cries. this, This is right after she comes home to find Grossman in her apartment, and he tells her that she needs to break up with him. And then Grossman and everyone else leaves. And then it says, Jillian crumpled on the floor, sobbing. So that is moment two when she is sobbing and just totally. Whereas in the episode when Grossman tells her she has to break up with Hutch and they leave, we just see her kind of staring off into the middle distance. Sad, obviously, but she's got much more composure. And I think that fits the character so much better. She looks kind of determined, like she's going to try to figure a way to get out of this situation. Mm-hmm. She's, she's much bolder. She's much more confident in herself, I would say, in the show than she comes off in the script. Absolutely. Shall we move on? Um, I think the next thing is the backstory scene. Yes. All right, so ultimately they end up going to the Venus massage parlor and confronting the Grossmans, and then on their way out, Starsky sees Jillian with a councilman. And then in the script, immediately following this, as they're entering their car, the Torino, uh, Starsky and Hutch have this exchange. 
So you'll be, be narration until you need to be Jillian? Yes, because then I get to be Jillian. Okay. Exterior. Venus massage. Torino. Day. As Starsky comes out and gets in the car. Get any help? No, uh, she wasn't there. Beat. He starts the car. How long have you known Jillian? What made you think of her? Starsky shrugs. Starts to drive. Interior, Torino. Starsky and Hutch. Day as they drive. About three weeks. Why? Just wondered. But it seems like I've known her all my life. Born here? No, back east. She's only been in town a few months. She work or go to school or what? She's a poet. Oh, that's right. But she doesn't live off that. No? No, she's got a little money. She's been married, divorced, and got a pretty fair settlement. So she's living off that. What she'd like to do is get a little money ahead and open up a boutique. A dress shop? Right. You shouldn't have to depend on writing to make a living. She sure looks good in clothes. She knows clothes. She likes clothes. That's why a boutique would be perfect for her. Where did you meet her? You sound like my mother used to sound. Where'd she live? Where's she from? What church she go to? Starsky smiles. He starts up the car. She know you're a cop? Hutch nods. He's deep in thought. I think I want to marry her. Starsky looks at him. He clicks the car in gear, and they move off. Fade out. That wasn't Hutch saying that. That was me saying that. <laughs> no, Hutch says, fade out. As he looks across, dreaming of the dream wedding that he and Jillian will have. After dating for three weeks. Yes. Hutch. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, Hutch, uh, he he goes from zero to 60. Uh, I think that's a, a great thing about Hutch, that he has a soft heart and he falls in love. But it uh, that's a little fast. That's why I, I like to imagine that if Starsky and Hutch actually do realize they're in love with each other and start dating, Hutch is going to do that. He's going to go from zero to 60. Yeah. He's going to be like, you're moving in tomorrow, and then we're having a commitment ceremony <laughs> in two weeks. Like, no, no room for anything else. He is just full speed ahead once he gets over his issues. Oh my god, and then Starsky has all this, like, oh, maybe we're getting in this too fast, and he's, like, kind of freaking out, and he's like, I can't keep up with Hutch. He's waiting for the other shoe to drop. He knows that things can't be this good for them forever. I don't know, though, because I think Starsky, I think if they got into a relationship, no, never mind. I mean, there's a million different ways to interpret them. So I would absolutely read every other configuration of how they get together and how they respond to it. But I think this is a story I would read based on Hutch's full speed ahead approach to relationships. (laughs) Now, we do absolutely get the sense that Jillian and Hutch are deeply in love with each other, even though it's only been a short while. They really are in this, like, romantic passion with each other. But we don't get that scene, so we never hear Hutch musing that he wants to marry her, or telling Starsky that, you know, she's just been in town a while and wants a boutique. Although some of that information does sort of trickle in in other bits of dialogue. But I think it's interesting that things that kind of come out in the dialogue in the script in the episode, we get more 
you know, them smiling dopely at each other or the scene where Hutch walks Jillian up to her front door and then when he walks back, he's so happy, he sort of jumps over the hood of his car and is just grinning to himself. So you do get a lot more of the emotions of the story through action and facial expressions rather than dialogue. Mm-hmm. And specifically the scene where he walks through the door in the script, she's like, stay in the car, and then he stays in the car. So that just adds so much, just that little, you know, action to the to the mood of the yeah. episode. And it's a lot more expanded dialogue in that scene in the uh, episode versus mm-hmm. the script. The mm-hmm. script is much more brief about that. And I this is something I said while we were watching this. I think... What's really nice about reading the script is realizing that the script is often much more explicit about things than the episode actually winds up needing to be. And so the script lays out all of this stuff explicitly and often has all of this extra dialogue. And then in filming it, they realize, as Monica was saying, you don't need that. You just need the facial expressions. You just need the body language and the blocking. And that fills in the blanks it gives you a sense of what these relationships are that the overwritten dialogue alone would never be able to do. Mm-hmm. So the next notes we have are about the scene where they're chasing two suspects into an alley after um, they get a call and Hutch ends up freezing. Um, in the script... Um, Hutch freezes for a brief moment, and then he gets over it and continues shooting. In the actual TV show, they had Starsky call out for Hutch to cover him, and Hutch fails to cover him, um, which I think really shows, again, an example of, as Monica was saying, that they do a little more to show, to really flesh out these moments in the TV show. And then there's a scene change in the script where they have that discussion of Hutch being scared in the squad room, but in the show they maintained it in the alley, which I think made it a much more intimate scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also some some dialogue changes that I thought were um, interesting because Starsky relates to Hutch much more in the actual show than he does in the script. He's very much, he's much more removed um, and doesn't seem to understand Hutch as much. And also, again, there's a case of over-explaining because Starsky's like, you've got someone, something to lose now, and Hutch says Jillian, whereas that was implied. So that absolutely is a perfect example of what Monica was saying. Or yeah, what Jen was saying. What, what we both said. <laughs> I don't remember. Specifically in the script about Starsky not relating is when Hutch says, I was scared. In the TV episode, Starsky says, yeah, every time I pull my gun, I'm scared too. Whereas in the script, uh, Starsky doesn't really react. No, he in fact, he does react. He says, what are you talking about? And Hutch says, I don't know what happened. Look at me. Do I look any different? So I much prefer Starsky acknowledging the vulnerability and saying that, yes, he feels that too. Even though it's not quite what Hutch is uh, trying to express, that this is something different for Hutch. It's not just general fear of getting shot. I still like that Starsky you know, agrees that getting shot at is scary. Yeah, it's it's really nice acknowledging that. Okay, then we get to the most important scene of the episode, which... Of the show? 
of the show, yes, where Jillian tells Starsky, you love him too, don't you? Wait, there's before that, oh. I think we need to talk about Hutch is turned on. <laughs> <laughs> this was important and it goes before that scene. <laughs> the best stage direction. It is the best stage direction. So shortly before the shooting scene, I do have to go back and uh, bring up this lovely stage direction, which is the best stage direction ever, probably. <clears throat> Starsky is driving. Hutch is turned on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, presumably that meant something a little different in the 70s. I assume so, but it very much is. Starsky is driving. Stop. Hutch is turned on. Stop. That sounds now like... Now Starsky is getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, those two lines... If that was an AO3 fix summary, I would click on that fic. Yes! <laughs> That's all you need. It would be a Hugo Award winning fic. Yes! <laughs> congrats to Archive of Our Own on the Hugos. Any of you who have posted your Starsky and Hutch fic to the Archive ever, you have won a Hugo Award. <laughs> okay, so now we can move on to the most important scene. Alright, so the most important scene of the entire show... Where Jillian says to Starsky, you love him too, don't you? And then she also says that wouldn't it be nice to be Hutch, to have two people love you so much. (sighs) It's beautiful. Oh my god, is it different in the script? (laughs) And not for the better. No way. Oh my god. So yeah, it is the most perfect, beautiful, wonderful scene ever. And it just makes my heart, like, sore. I love that Starsky gives her money and is very much like, I think you should get out of town, and then Jillian says what she says, and it is just wonderfully acted and full of so much emotion, and I adore it. And now we're going to get to what the script wanted it to be. (laughs) This time, Rachel will be Jillian, and Monica will read the stage directions. Yes. I have a question. Yes. Should I go over the top, or should I try to do it seriously? You could perform however you want to perform it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not good dialogue, so I it's don't not. think you could deliver it in a way okay. that it works. Um, Might as well go over the top. Okay, so just to start out, uh, Starsky has handed over the money, 1600 and said that he'll get another 3000 shortly. It's an investment. Look at it like we're partners. She looks at him. She holds the envelope. She senses that something awful is about to happen. There's only one thing. Smiles. I guess there's always a catch, huh? She watches him. Nods. I think you ought to open that boutique. Not in town here, but maybe someplace back east. Cleveland, maybe. Long beat. Then she places the envelope carefully on the table. She knows he knows. Now there's a slight tremble to her voice. How much do you police make anyway? He shrugs. Must have taken you a long time to save that much. And where will you get the 3000 Alone on your car? You love him too, don't you? How did you find out? Yesterday, when we were over at Grossman's, I just happened to look in back. Damn it! I'm no ordinary hooker! I'm expensive! Well, I wouldn't know. Starsky is moving around the room so he won't have to look at her. I can make that kind of money in two, three days. He looks up at that. Yeah, I bet you can. Is it some sort of crime because I like money? Because I like clothes. I like this place. 
See that nest of couches? It costs as much as your car. <laughs> and it's cheaper to run. The good life. Is there anything wrong with living good? I guess it depends on how many people you have to hurt to get there. I love him. Doesn't that count for anything? You'll have to ask Hutch. But first, he's going to have to know. Are you going to tell him, or am I? That's it. No other choices. There's always the dress shop back in Cleveland. They tell there's planes leaving every hour. She looks away for a long moment. I'll tell him tonight. She picks up the envelope of money and hands it to him. If you don't, I'll tell him in the morning. Wouldn't it be great to be Hutch? In one lifetime, to have two people who care about him this much. Too bad we can't be on the same side. Starsky leaves. She stands there a long moment. Then a thought occurs to her. She gets hold of herself, crosses the room to the bedroom. All right. I, n- I mean, I overplayed it a little, but you can tell because the dialogue was awful. I mean, how could you not overplay? I'm expensive. <laughs> Like, what? I mean, even? I suppose you could say, uh, let me read that another way. I suppose, like, a, a, you know, given the script and that if you couldn't change it, you definitely could act in a way that does give her some sympathy. Um, where is the line? Just give me a second. Uh, okay, the damn it is annoying. Damn it. I'm no ordinary, I'm no ordinary hooker. I'm expensive. Or, like, I'm I'm not a great actress. I apologize. My point there that I, I was trying to make... I could see you're trying to inject some sort of, like, droll sarcasm. Like, mm-hmm. like, like she's making fun of herself, almost. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm expensive. There you, like, yeah, she's, she's, she's not proud of this fact, you know? Like, I definitely initially read it that she was. But, you know, that it's very much, like... This is what Grossman tells her, you know. Oh, you're you're a special baby. You're 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 a prize, you know. And she She's... knows what bullshit that is. But then, like, she keeps pointing out all of the things, so it does seem like she's proud That's of that. That's true. Fact. <laughs> but like in the like, I don't want to make it clear like there are people who choose to be sex workers, and that's totally mm-hmm, cool. Absolutely. Like, we, like, I think all three of us support women's right to go out and make Legalize money however they choose work. to. Regulate sex work. But her justification seems, to, and, like, she's clearly in an exploitative situation. Mm-hmm. She's not in a good situation. She's not in control of her own future to the extent that her employer is about to kill her. And she just, like, all she's talking about is how much she likes clothes and furniture. And not making any other argument or nuance. Like, there, there's no nuance to it. Mm-hmm. It seems to be entirely, I like money. Not, I need money because I came from a bad situation. And not, like, this is what I choose to do. This is, like, you know, it's no different than working any other job. Like, there's a lot of other rhetoric that would have rung a lot truer and not made mm-hmm. her seem kind of shallow. And... Even if she's not, even if she's saying this kind of ironically, or maybe not ironic, maybe that's not the right word, but, you know, sort of like in a self-deprecating, like, look at all the good stuff I have and maybe not even enjoying it, she's definitely goading Starsky in this scene. Yeah. Like, no matter what way she's saying it, it's definitely done to get a rise out of him to some degree. And even if she's just feeling very defensive because Starsky's come to her house and has shown that he knows her secret, 
So even if she is reacting defensively and not actually showing her true self, I feel like there's ways to be defensive that might have, like, been better. Like, my job is making people feel good. Your job is shooting people. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to, but that's too real. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's too real for this show, but, like, that would be my argument if I were her. But, yeah, this scene is so odd because it seems so different from, like, what little we know of her from Hutch's point of view. Suddenly in this scene, she's a valley girl, whereas in earlier scenes, she's been probably this poet that's sensitive like Hutch and uh, kind of poetic like Hutch. You know, I, I think that Hutch isn't really attracted to material things, and if this was the face she was showing Hutch, he probably wouldn't be into her. So it seems like she's either putting on an act with Hutch or she's putting on an act with Starsky. And it just seems odd that we don't get to see a ton of Jillian and that she seems like two very different people. I wouldn't even say that, like, speaking specifically, like, if it is an act with Starsky, one would think it would be so that she doesn't, like, show how vulnerable she is. Whereas, because of how much she ends up sobbing and in public at one point because of the bowling alley, like, she doesn't seem to have a problem with being vulnerable as the script is written. So, it's, it's odd. Yeah, I think the actress maybe could have pulled it off because I think she's good at sort of seeming on the edge, sort of brittle, but trying to hide it. Uh, Someone who is scared, but is trying to put on a brave face. So I think maybe the actress could have pulled it off, but I'm glad they chose to just cut all that and focus on her saying, but I love Hutch, doesn't that count for something? And going from there, Mm -hmm. because... That's that's cutting right to the heart of the matter, and the rest of it just doesn't seem to fit. Although, yeah. yeah, my favorite line, though, now that I will always want to say, but I won't, uh, but that I'll always want to say is now, damn it, I'm no ordinary hooker. I'm expensive. <laughs> so. I think it's important that, like, the way that she's responding has nothing to do with the things that Starsky is actually concerned about. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it's the fact that she's a sex worker that he has a problem with. He might also, but that's not the primary problem there. The problem is that she hasn't told Hutch, and that she is working for a guy who is murdering people. Yeah. And, like, that is not going to end well. It's going to get Hutch in trouble, and, like, he is perfectly happy to give her money, including implicitly, like, taking a loan out against his beloved car in order to help her get set up somewhere else. He doesn't hate her. Mm-mm. He is just trying to protect Hutch from a woman who works for a criminal syndicate that he knows how this thing is going to end. He knows how it's going to go down. And so her defense that she just really likes the money and stuff has nothing to do with the actual issue that Starsky is having here. And what you just said about Starsky's motivations and everything, like, that is why this is my, like, part of a big reason why this is my favorite episode, because the situation is not simple. It's complicated with complicated feelings, and everyone just wants, like, things to work out as best they can, and they're just striving for that outcome um, and making hard choices along the way. And if you want more of those hard choices, you should read the fic Rachel wrote, <laughs> which expands on this in really cool ways. Yes. Well, thank you. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. That was the 
biggest. Um, we can also note that it's kind of interesting that at first the Grossmans definitely um, are not planning on killing Hutch. That comes later. Uh, after Jillian is dead, then they start to threaten Hutch before there's no mention of killing Hutch. Um, and also that Grossman seems to act on his own in the script, whereas in the show, Mrs. Grossman definitely tells him we need to kill Jillian and Hutch. So they definitely make her more uh, active than... And she's Sarah great, does. by the way. She's amazing. I walked down a rabbit hole of reading Sylvia Sidney's uh, IMDb page and... She was an actress for 70 years and was fantastic through all of it. All right. Finally, we come to the last great and memorable scene of this episode. And that's when the body is discovered. Um, In the show, of course, Starsky comes, discovers the body, receives a phone call from Grossman. Grossman assumes that Starsky is Hutch and tells him to come to such and such. And then Starsky winds up calling for an ambulance. And then Hutch very quietly enters the room, uh, crouches over Jillian's body, you know, wants to know what's going on, uh, hits Starsky, and then they hug it out while Starsky, you know, gives him words of comfort. Some of those beats are the same in the script, and some of those beats are very different. So let's go through. Starsky does discover the body first. Um, but then quite quickly, Hutch, uh, bursts in, as the script says. So, the phone call hasn't happened yet, um... Do we want to act this one out, or do we want to just talk? Um, I think we can act it out, because it's a familiar enough scene that people will know which differences, I think. So, yeah, we're gonna act this out... Uh, just give me a minute to and try to And the on. creaking of the couch can stand in for the creaking of the leather jackets. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, the loudest no, hug. There's no, there's no hugging in this scene. Right. <laughs> okay, we're gonna start with, um, I think we'll start here with Starsky saying Jillian, and then we'll just say that he's discovered the body. Um, and like, checks, and checks that she's, checks that she's dead. Um, and then Starsky will start with Jillian, we'll go off. Okay. So, Starsky has just discovered the body, um, dropped down, checked that she's dead. Angle on door as Hutch bursts in. What's going on? What happened? Oh my god. Hutch rushes to Jillian. Jillian? There are several wild moments of shock, panic, and finally accepting that she's dead. Close on Hutch. He looks to Starsky. Tears brim in his eyes. She's dead, Starsk. I tried to call you. What happened? As near as I can figure, Grossman. Hutch is all torn apart. He's trying to hold himself together. What? What are you talking about? Hutch turns to Starsky. Hutch's face looks bruised and brutal. What are you doing here? What does Huggy know? What could Huggy know about Jillian? Hutch... What's going on here? Grossman? Huggy? What is going on, Starsky, huh? And what are you doing over here alone with Jillian? What is this? She was going to tell you. Tell me what? She worked for Grossman. What did you say? Hutch, she was, a Hooker? You trying to tell me Jillian was a pro? What do you think paid for this place? 
Hutch swings from the floor, hits Starsky, and sends him sprawling. You liar! When we first went to Grossman's, I saw her back in the massage parlor. That doesn't mean a thing. She could have been writing a story on massage parlors, interviewing people. Don't you think I wish to God it was true? She loved you. She was going to quit, Grossman. He turns to Starsky again. So you checked her out. Everybody knows but me, is that it? Doby, Huggy? No, Hutch, no. Damn you, snooping around behind my back, saying her name like that? Off screen in the apartment, the phone rings. I'll be gross then. Okay. If we want to do the telephone scene. Sure. She was going to tell you, Hutch. She was going to tell you tonight. Look, she was packing to leave. The phone rings again. Starsky moves to it, answers. Interior, Grossman's apartment. Grossman's. Or Grossman. On phone. His mother, Turner and Evan, in background. Would this be Hutch? Grossman? How's that pretty girlfriend of yours? You standing there having a lot of memories? Hutch tries to grab the phone. Starsky stops him, puts his hand over the receiver. He thinks I'm you. I think he's trying to bait us into a trap. I'm gonna kill you, Grossman. Some things shouldn't be put off. Like you and your tramp girlfriend being reunited. Where and when? If you come alone, I'll be at the Royal Theater in 20 minutes. If you bring help, you'll never see me again. Grossman hangs up. All right. But then we never get the hug. So that's... That is the thing. It moves on to the Grossmans being like, okay, we're going to kill... Hutch as well. Because the phone call open, it interrupts the emotional moment. Mm-hmm. So moving we... the phone call before allowed to, allowed an opening up of the scene between Sarsky and mm-hmm. Hutch. It very much is this rough cut, I mean, this this transition between, like, Hutch being very mad and Sarsky being like, she loved you, and then all of a sudden the phone rings, and we don't get that all-important hug and just Starsky saying over and over these words of comfort to Hutch. Yeah. It's really nice as acted out and like we tried our best, but <laughs> We did amazing. <laughs> you did a very good job. Yes, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> We're fist pumping. Um but yeah, all all credit to David Soul and, and Paul Monk Glazer for really selling that entire scene. Um Except possibly the stage combat punch, which <laughs> has the most over-the-top, like, flopping over reaction. Unfortunately, they do that over and over. When they get shot, they, like, go flying backwards. Whereas I think in real life, not that I've seen a lot of people get shot, but usually I think people just drop. I don't think that punches and bullets really fly people backwards several feet. Certainly not in acrobatic clips. <laughs> at least the gunshot is so startling and at such high speed that I can maybe forgive it. But, like, it's a light punch in the face and Sarsky's entire body flips over to the other side of the room. Yeah, but, like, in shootout when Sarsky gets shot, he, like, flies on top of a serving tray. <laughs> also, like, Sarsky and Hutch have both had a face-to-face conversation with the Grossmans before that phone call, the idea that they would hear Starsky's accent and think it was Hutch stretches disbelief a little bit. I, I believe it completely, because I don't remember people after I've met them once. So you've only met them once. Like, people don't remember which one's Starsky and which one's Hutch anyway. That's, like, that's the fair. joke. Um, but yeah, like... I do like that it's usually played as a joke, and then they play it deadly serious in that scene. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter that they think Starsky is Hutch. Like, it doesn't... There's no trick there. Like, it doesn't give them any advantage that, you know, Starsky passed himself off as Hutch. It's played completely straight, so it almost just feels like more evidence of the fact that Starsky and Hutch consider themselves in some ways interchangeable. That is nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you come after one of them, you come after both of them. Yep. So, Yeah. That is our watch-along with the Jillian scripts. It was an experience. <laughs> it know? was. I was thinking a bit about Jillian, and in season four, Hutch falls in love with a woman named Marianne Owens. Or maybe he doesn't fall in love with her, but he's certainly kind of infatuated with her. And she's she has a lot of similarities with Jillian that I never really thought about before. An uh, artistic bent, a sort of... Controlled by the men around mm-hmm. her... Uh, so yeah, a trapped woman with an artistic musical, well, I I guess we don't know what kind of poetry Jillian may or may not have written, but, um, although I I think the sequence is interesting because it's always tempting to say that anyone who plays, who who is like a cop or, or some other similar role has sort of a savior complex. Um, but with Jillian, he doesn't no. Like, she legitimately does kind of need saving, but that's not why he falls for her. He has no idea that that's the situation when they fall in love. So I wonder if... I mean, I don't think that the writers and producers were actually thinking this, but when he falls in love with this other woman several seasons later, if there's a, a sense of... is It is after, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sense that he's going to rectify the the mistakes that he made or the the way that he never got to save Jillian. I think that definitely, I don't know if the writers ever thought of that, but I think it's definitely a narrative thread that a fan can clearly see. Mm -hmm. Not that I'd really noticed it before, but yes. You did now. If Hutch can save Marianne, he's sort of making up for not being able to save Jillian. Also, every time he saves Starsky. (laughs) Alright. I think that covers it for our episode on Jillian. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You don't have to like the episode, but if you do, good. (laughs) (laughs) I had nothing interesting to say. That's okay. We do have exciting news that Rachel and I will be coming to ShareCon again. ShareCon! Unfortunately, I continue to be poor and busy. (laughs) I don't know if we'll put out another episode before ShareCon. It might be that our next episode will be uh, more interviews from ShareCon. But I did have fun going through the script and watching this episode. So it's possible that we might do this again with a different episode. If I could get my hands on Hutchinson Murder 1, I would. Hold that thought. What? Did you predict that I would say that? Is Monica psychic? She might be. That would explain a lot of things, actually. My face right now, guys. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know where I ever put anything in my life. But, uh, but it Just is... A okay. <laughs> we'll continue to, to hold on that. Oh my gosh! Monica just produced a copy of the Hutchinson Murder One script. Yay! Of you course I knew what you were going to say. How? I am very predictable, that's why. <laughs> she knows me very well. 
That's beautiful. Oh, come on, guys. I was just talking about Vanessa earlier today. <laughs> well, we have another episode where you could give your wonderful performance of a female character. Yes. Oh, my God. And Vanessa would be so fun. <laughs> I have not read that, so I don't know what differences may or may not be in that script. It might be chock full of delightful things. It might be relatively boring. I could not say. Well, if it is the latter, we will spice it up. <laughs> okay. We're spicy. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who will be at ShareCon, we're very excited to see you very shortly. For those of you who won't, we will miss your presence, but we are glad to be able to talk to you in this fashion. Uh, You can email us at meandtheeand3 at gmail.com. And remember, the three is spelled out as a word and the ands are spelled out as a word. You can find us on Twitter at me the three, or you can go to our website at me and the and three dot com. Until next time, bye. bye. You harbor tiny thoughts in your mind. What they can see is out of time. being the company and Hutch being the thing that they produce. Mm-hmm. I mean, it very much feels like, in their minds, Starsky's on top. <laughs> I was imagining more of like a Knight Rider scenario where Hutch is apparently Kit, <laughs> <laughs> who is helping people pilot this car. And so I guess Starsky is the Knight Rider in this scenario. Well, no wonder he... Well, Oh, well then in that case, Starsky's riding Hutch. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. I think we might have to cut this whole segment. <laughs> no, we're not. We're keeping it in. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>